go? I'm good to go. All right, sweet. Hey, everybody. Greg here with another episode of the Aviation Growth Podcast. Here with me today, I have Scott Ashton with Aerox. Uh, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. Thanks good. for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we met, I guess, a little less than a year ago. Uh, you had reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, I'm new to the area. Let's uh, let's meet up and uh, met up for lunch. You had just uh, just made the move down here. And um, so tell me, like, tell me a little bit about how uh, how Aerox came. Uh, well, first, give, give us an intro. What what do you guys do? What, what products do you sell um, and uh, and what do you do? Sure. So Aerox is oxygen made easy. OK. And we do portable systems for general aviation pilots. Okay. Uh, we've got a line of TSO'd oxygen masks, uh, diluter demand masks that go to 40,000 feet, uh, con uh, continuous flow demand uh, masks, uh, PMA oxygen cylinders, and we do installed oxygen systems for uh, all sorts of aircraft, uh, Diamond, Grobe, and, and others. Okay, cool. And so you just got into this business, I guess, is it less than a year ago? That's about 18 months ago about now. 18 and, months and ago. And the time okay. has traveled so fast. <laughs> How has it been? It's been uh, very hectic. Okay. A lot of 18, 20 hour days, as you would expect with any you know, small business, especially in the middle of COVID. But, um, but it has been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's been uh, just fun. The people that I work with are, are fantastic. Uh, the customers are great and, and business is, is going pretty well. Awesome. Well, and so... Tell us a little bit about how you got into this because you actually came down and bought a business uh, or, or it was a split out of... Uh, yeah, so, okay. so the business was owned by a, uh, by a much bigger company. They had okay. bought the business several years ago, five, five or six years ago. And um, as part of a series of transactions, this was kind of the last thing that needed to be, um, needed to be sold because it really wasn't core to what they were doing. Okay. And, um, so they were, they were selling the business and, and they were using a, a great investment banker who happened to be a, also a friend of mine. Okay. And, um, you know, so, so if I take you back to March, April, 2020, the world was kind of going to hell in a yeah. hurry, right? The, the <laughs> sure. stock market was going down. It was down, I think to below 18,000. Uh, travel restrictions, and nobody knew which way was up and, and what was going to happen, you know, two days from now, never mind yeah. two years from now. And uh, so the business was available. And to his credit, the, the banker who was selling it, who's Bill Alderman from Alderman and Company, a, a fantastic a person and, and, a, and a fantastic banker, he he saw that this was a, a, the right opportunity for me. And he reached out to me and said, hey, I've got this little company down in Florida and at the time, I also have a, had a condo down here in Naples. Okay. And, and yep. so I, I just, I love being down here yeah. anyway. And um, called my wife and said, hey, we're going to go for this. And, um, you know, literally in the middle of everything going on, I packed my car up with whatever I could fit into it. And I drove down to the condo and, you know, I felt like I was crossing the border into, I don't know what, because... <laughs> You know, they had police escort, police yeah. uh, blockade set up on 95. And, uh, but I got to the house, we, I set everything up. We started doing our due diligence and, uh, you know, 60 days later, I'm having the first team meeting with, uh, you know, with my new team. And so it's been, it's been a surreal a experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's our first experience owning a business. Right. I've, I've run a couple of businesses, uh, but always for other people. So this was the sure. first time, you know, running our own business. And, uh, you know, to our credit, uh, my, my wife, Sarah, has is, is just been fantastic. She's a CPA. Uh, so she took over as CFO. So in the middle of that, she's in Connecticut. We've got three kids. And now, you know, now I just threw that on her and said, hey, I'm going to Florida and we're moving down here. So she had to get the house ready for sale. My daughter graduated from high school. She's learning our new accounting system and trying to migrate to uh, a, a new ARP system, kind of somewhat remotely, going back and forth. And uh, she was a real, she was a real trooper. She yeah. bought, she bought in and uh, you know, I think and let me do it. It's really important when you're starting up a new business or or taking over a business to really have that. 
um, right hand man or woman in this in this case to really help out and get that done. So it yeah. sounds like Sarah's the the person yeah. for that. Yeah, and and you know, again, to her credit, you know, I was heads down in the business. I was yeah. I, I was focused on one thing, and that was it. And you know, she's managing the house up in Connecticut. My daughter's graduating from high school, so everything going along with that. She had the one of her best years ever selling real estate, so she's doing real estate transactions and everything going on with the, with the business at the same time. So she was really all over the place. Sure. So, uh, so I, I couldn't have done it without her. Yeah. And so going back, you know, you've been in aviation for quite some time now. What, um, what have you done in aviation? What where were the businesses that you were involved in and how did yeah. that lead up to ultimately coming in and now buying this business in aviation? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting how, Everything that I've done in my personal and, and professional career kind of brought me to this point. I really have no skills outside of aviation. <laughs> uh, I've been flying since I was 17, went to school for aeronautical engineering. Uh, I've got a multi-engine ATP, flight instructor, FAA, fast team rep. Um, so really flying in aviation is really the only industry that I, that I know. Inside the business, um, I've done engineering, but really the my, the bias of my career has been uh, front-end focus, so mm -hmm. sales and marketing. Uh, I was chief commercial officer for GE's corporate aircraft finance business, chief commercial officer for Gamma Aviation, which was a management company that got bought by Wheels Up. Um, and then uh, I became the president of Associated Aircraft Group, which yep. was a division of Sikorsky and a flight docs customer. Sure. And uh, so that was really my, <clears throat> my, first <clears throat> my first taste of general management. Um, and then, um, I got asked to go run a, uh, small family owned MRO and, and, um, uh, and then this opportunity came along and I, and I jumped at it. So, sure. you know, for, for many, many years, I was, I always felt like I was chasing something. Like I was never really satisfied. Like there was a, another calling and, um, you know, owning my own company is just, yeah. that, that was so it. How do, how do you think your mindset has changed from now? You've you've essentially ran a lot of organizations, but you haven't owned them necessarily. And now you take this kind of leap of faith, you know, pack up the car, head to Florida, do what I understand to be a pretty quick due diligence, and now you take over this company. What What's changed for you during that time? What changed was I have no net. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's really, you know, when you, when you run a small division within a big company, you've got, you, you've got, you've always got a net. Sure. Uh, even when it was somebody else's money, you know, you, you're, you're, you're still yeah. working for somebody else. And now, you know, this is the first time where this is, this is us and, mm -hmm. and there's no backup plan. This has to work and, you know, we're, we're making it work. So the satisfaction I think that you get is is much higher you know and so is the risk but sure the, the, when when you know when you go home at night and you've put everything into it you know it's it's all you and, yeah. and that's that's pretty satisfying i really really enjoy that yeah and um, so what was what what made you interested in this business in particular um it was it was a combination of things it was the market so so you know my my and my background is business and general aviation. Yeah. So it was the right market. It was the right location. Sure. Uh, the timing for me was, was perfect. Um, mm -hmm. It gave me a competitive advantage over the other companies that were looking at it that were a lot bigger, where I could go in and, and get the deal done pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, money was cheap, so it was easy to finance, relatively easy to finance. Sure. And... Um, you know, so, so those are really the kind of the, the competitive advantages. And then the company itself had intellectual property, which is something that we were very interested in. I didn't want to just get a company that was, you know, was, was a commodity right. type product. I, and we, we've got PMA, we've got TSO, we've got installed installations for, with OEMs. So there's, uh, and I've got a 145 repair station. So, you know, I've got a lot of competitive um, barriers to entry sure. in, in our market. And, you know, our, our competitors are some of the biggest aerospace companies in the world. And uh, there's nothing like better than going head to head with them. And yeah. sometimes you win and sometimes you get your butt kicked. But, uh, you know, that you just you manage that risk as, as best you can. And uh, that's that's I love winning. So that's, yeah. so that's what's really what's fun is when you've got a small company and 
you can go in and do something pretty quickly that that your customers know yeah they can't get anywhere yeah, else sure and that's that's a result of my team awesome and so tell me a little bit about like that team and how that process has has um over over the last 18 months so you show up you buy the business you have a team that's in place how does that, that's obviously for anybody who's taken over a team, it's a big obstacle, right? It like, can be. Okay. It, How it, has that gone for you? It, it's gone like you would expect with any, with any small business where, mm-hmm. where somebody comes in. So some of the team uh, was, was outstanding and, and probably not given enough opportunity to shine. Right. And we've taken care of that. Uh, other members of the, of the team, um, mostly self-selected out if they didn't really see where like where the business was was headed sure um and we and in every case we've replaced them with with talent that is really we call it aerox 4.0 because i'm the fourth owner of the company okay so so we've got this kind of cultural ethos and vision called aerox 4.0 okay and um you know if you're not bought into 4.0 you're not, you're not going to be part of 4.0. Sure. And, you know, we explain that to people who come in and, uh, they, they love it. They love that yeah. vision. They love the energy. They love being part of a company that's, that's, you know, kind of hyper competitive and yeah. fun and loves to win. And, you know, so, um, even, even Saturday we did inventory and tried to make it as fun as we could, <laughs> as painful as it was. Um, but that's that's a big part of it is that you know I want to have fun I want to enjoy this I, yeah. you know, I don't I don't want this to be a, a grind you know we're 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 in this to you know certainly to to provide a living for for us but also I take I take our our employees welfare very very seriously and that's a big responsibility that we've got that Sarah and I have that you know we provide for the livelihood of yeah. a lot of people and and their families and we take that very 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 seriously. Yeah, for sure and you got you have to. Yeah, you have to. It's it's a huge part of it and um you know as you're as you're looking to grow any business, there's only so much that you can do on your own, right? And so having that team behind you is just is critical. Yeah, and I think as you grow what you can do actually becomes less and less and less, right? Because you're not really scalable, but your team is. Sure. And so that's been one of the big things was when I came in, you know, you look and like everything's got to change and it's all you, right? We had changed our e-commerce platform, our, our payroll system, all of our banking. We moved, we relocated the company. Um, So every system, we changed our MRP system. So everything that a company could do that was kind of like a big project. We did them all right at once. Yeah. And it was just Sarah and I and, and a couple of other people. So it's been a huge undertaking that largely is behind us now. And so now I'm trying to, trying to step back from the business a little bit and let the team, um, you know, run, run with their respective sure. organ, you know, organizations. And we're trying to reorganize the business a little bit. So yeah, uh, everybody, cause when I first got there, everybody reported to me and that's that has it has its, uh, (laughs) yeah, for a time that was okay because I was trying to get a sense of the organization and kind of who, who was doing what, but yeah, now it's time to, it's time to start scaling. And we've started moving those pieces around the board and, uh, starting, starting to set ourselves up for, uh, for growth. And, and it's been, it's been great. It's been, I think so far it's been pretty successful and, and there's more of it. So, um, yeah, and a, and a big part of that, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about EOS, but we're in the process of uh, implementing the entrepreneurial operating system. Okay. And a big part of that is that, is that stepping back, having clearly defined roles and responsibilities, sure. which, we, which we are just starting to do, um, a solid scorecard, and coming in as, as the owner of a new business, um, you know, when we were part of a bigger enterprise, you always have somebody else's operating system to lean on, right? So they they give you the template that you're going to fill out. Right. You know, you're you're on somebody else's agenda, and so coming in, we really didn't have that because we had unplugged from the parent company, so we had a clean sheet of paper, and um, so that's so that's what we're going to go with is EOS, which is which is great for accountability and scorecards, and you know, really providing us a platform where we can scale up the business. 
Cool. And how does that t- talk to me about this, this 4.0 yeah. uh, type of like, I guess that's the culture that you're really trying to build. Yeah. Do you have kind of like pillars or main points of that, that you're, we're, we're still building okay. all of that. Um, but, but 4.0 is, is really just a, a, a high performing organization, mm-hmm. right? Where, where you're not hiding behind a much bigger organization, uh, and, and their performance metrics that, you know, what, uh, one of the things I'll just give, give you a small example yeah. was on-time delivery. So, so in the past, Aerox 3.0, they were measured on on-time delivery, and their their metrics were tied to it, which means bonuses. And when I got there, uh, we were we were measuring on-time delivery, and I knew we were late with stuff. Mm. We were like ninety five percent on-time delivery. Yeah. Well, because we would just keep pushing the due date out as stuff happened. I'm like, okay, but the only thing that, so, so we were measured on on-time delivery, which was great, but what really matters is what did the customer feel like? Right. And the cut, you know, and, and so the customer was being impacted, but we were claiming success. So we, we stopped all of that stuff. Um, and then really it's just, it's just the talent and, and the type of behaviors that we want, um, you know, shared success, no, uh, no hidden agendas and, and really customer focused and customer driven. Right. And, and some of that is, um, you know, uh, driving avatars, right? I don't know if you're familiar with what an avatar is, but it's kind of a, it's a profile of who your customer is. So we've got an avatar of a, of a customer who's a pilot with a, you know, with a general aviation airplane, he's got an installed system and, you know, what are his needs and wants and, uh, then we've got an avatar of an OEM who's really a buyer who's, you know, being beaten on for on-time delivery of his supply chain or her supply chain. So we've got these these avatars, and and we're trying to, I guess, personalize our customers sure. so people understand. Hey, when we don't do things right, people are real people like any of us are are impacted. Yeah, and and I think, you know, in a lot of ways, Amazon has driven that that discussion because we think okay you know, this is what people expect now, right? You know, that I'm going to put an online order in, or I'm going to go to my, you know, one of our, our distributors, and I'm going to place an order and it's just going to show up. And and when it doesn't, there's a problem, there's a problem. Yeah. And, and so you can have whatever internal metrics you want, but you're really measured by the marketplace. Right. And uh, so we've, we've made a lot of changes, built up a lot of our, our internal inventory, just changed our philosophy about how we, um, how we organize our operations. Yeah. I think as, as I look at a lot of the, the larger companies out there and as they continue to scale up, you know, management oftentimes gets further and further away from the customer. And that's where I think a lot of these like KPIs come into place where they're not really like they're measuring things that don't give you an accurate look at how how you're actually performing and you start having team members that are striving for goals that really benefit them but don't really benefit the customer and ultimately don't benefit the the organization in the in the long run and so that's where you see i think a lot of the smaller companies have this hyper you know customer focus and they're really like they're really focused on things that matter and things that don't matter, don't impact the end, you know, your end customer, you know, they're, they're great to measure. And sometimes you go back and you say like, I wish we had this metric or I wish we had done this to use as a data point, but they ultimately don't really impact your, when you're a smaller organization, they don't impact you as much as, as, um, you know, Right. And, and so you really just lock in on the things that really impact you, that customer satisfaction, you know, speed, level of service, all that, all that good stuff. Well, and I remind our people that a lot of our customers are my friends. Right. Right. Or, or people kind of in my circle, right. Yeah. As, as a, as a general aviation pilot or, uh, you know, someone in the industry, like I know these people, right. I, I, you know, I know the distributors and, you know, I know, you know, the, people who may be buying our products every once in a while I see somebody. So, so it's important to get it right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's because this is, ve- it's very, it's very personal. Sure. You know, and, and I hear about it and, 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 you, and, and, and I do, and I, make, a, I put myself out there yeah. and I make myself available. I, I get, you know, I'm, I'm on our, our, uh, some of our shared inboxes. So when somebody writes in and they're not happy, 
you know, I pick up the phone, I call yeah. them, you know, because I'm, I'm up here, I'm, I'm part of this network. So, yep. yeah, um, I was always the same way. And, and, you know, I get when customers were pissed about something, I'd every once in a while get CC'd on a, on an incoming email and have to, you know, jump right into it, yep. pick up the phone, get it resolved. But it was one of those things where, you know, I've been out there, I've been, selling these products. I've been working with these customers for a long time. And just personally, I don't want, you know, if we're, if we're going to do a job, we're going to do it right because I don't want that reflected on myself. And yeah. I, I'm sure you, you, yeah, you it's the same, the same way. way. And sometimes, you know, like sometimes you're going to miss, yeah. you know, and, and it's, you know, right now supply chain is a huge problem yeah. for us, huge yeah. problem. Um, and so, you know, it's unavoidable that you're going to disappoint people. But, you know, sure. when you can pick up the phone and call them and at least let them know you care, you know, you're doing everything you can that, you know, their order is just not one of 50 that are sitting in a in a bin somewhere. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it takes the sting away. And, and especially when you, you can explain to them what's going what's on. What's really happening. You know, and, I and think, we do that with our suppliers, too. Yeah. You know, I have those same discussions with our vendors, too. Um you know, so that I know that they care and they're doing what they can to, uh, to, to help us because, yeah. you know, you, you know, you've been in sales. It's, it's hard to build a backlog. Sure. So when you build a backlog and you can't fulfill it, that hurts. Yeah, <laughs> that really yeah hurts. for sure. And it, I know that, you know, in, in general, it, it seems like over the last year, COVID has been, obviously it's impacted business seriously. I think there's also, some companies that have kind of used it as a crutch where it's like, Oh, well we, we don't pick up the phone anymore because of COVID. Yeah. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense anymore. You right. know, it doesn't make sense. And, and I think people are starting to see like, it's not a valid excuse anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you're, I, you're still, I mean, you're still running into, you know, supply chain is still a very real. Yeah. Our, our supply chain is a major issue. And uh, actually I, I actually went so far as I called the head of the factory. We, we get some of our parts and he, we, he, you know, to his credit, we had a, we had a 25 minute discussion and, and, you know, he's like, you know, so demand is way up. Yeah, for, for the for the products that we're buying from them, and they had they had two plant shuts down, shutdowns because of you know COVID just went right through their shop. Yeah, and uh, he's like, you know, we're just we're trying to catch up, and I can't hire people, yeah. and uh, so you know the the supply chain difficulties that we're experiencing are pretty real. Yeah, for and sure. so you know we just we just brought on a a great new purchasing person. Um, she was actually our customer service person who had a purchasing background. So we gave her some procurement responsibilities mm -hmm. or so our supply chain responsibilities. And, uh, so she's doing great trying to, trying to bulk up our, our inventory, especially anything that's, you know, with supplying oxygen, you're, you're competing a little bit with the medical supply chain. Yeah. So we've, we've done, you know, large purchases to make sure we've got some insulation, uh, even things like oxygen, getting, yeah. getting, getting aviators, breathing oxygen, uh, has been a little bit of a challenge, not from the production standpoint, but just drivers. They, right. they, they just don't have drivers to deliver the stuff. Yeah. So we've had to bulk up on that, which is, you know, again, as a business owner is, is cash. And, sure. you know, when you're, when you're owned by private equity or a bigger company and you've got to deliver all your metrics, you know, you've got to deliver so much, so much cash and stuff. But if you don't, you got, you still have a safety net, right? You're not right. going to not pay your bills uh, when it's, when it's just you, <laughs> there is sure. no net. You got to manage it. You got, I, you just have, you have to manage it a little bit differently. Right. And so, you know, one of the things we had talked a couple of weeks ago and, um, and I've been talking to a lot of people and there's, um, you know, there's, there's a lot, and we, we did this too. And we brought on, uh, PE and for a, a minority investment. And then we went out and ultimately sold flight docs last yep. year. Um, and there's a lot of companies out there that are looking to raise capital, whether it's from, you know, a, a venture capital group or PE or going out to their family members yep. and, uh, and, or friends and trying to, to bring in, you know, dollars that way. And I think you really were pretty set on doing it yourself. And so can you take me through like, you know, your rationale through yeah. that? And, and, uh, so when we did this, there, there was a magic moment in the industry, I think where, where, um, 
that made this possible, mm-hmm. right? I, and I'm not, I'm not sure it would have been possible to do it in today's environment a year and a half later. Sure. So, so we really were very, very, very lucky in that regard. Also lucky that I got some very, very good advice from, from my network, my network of trusted advisors. And we're really, what made this possible was, you know, I'm not particularly smart, but, but I surround myself with really, really just some awesome people. My attorney, Paul Lang, my financial advisors, um, Spurstone. Um, uh, you know, I had, a, I brought on a business coach, uh, who, who, um, who helped tremendously my accounting people. And, and, you know, that just that network, they kind of, they, they envelop you and, and protect you and, yep. and, and protect you from doing dumb Stupid things. Stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, so, uh, so I was, I was remember I, because, because we had done this transaction uh, pretty successfully, I was told, you know, you're, 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 you're pretty bankable. Go, you know, go raise some money and, and go, go now you can scale this up. Right. And I, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who actually would have been a, a source of capital, I think for, 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 you know, moving forward on other acquisitions. And he said, you know, I've run businesses with other people's money and I've run businesses with my own money. And it's always more fun when it's just you. Sure. And uh, I really took that to heart because, um, yeah, I, I don't always play well with others. And even just having somebody, whether it's family or fr- just somebody else in the business, I think I, I don't. I, I think I would look at it differently. And and so we decided not to take any outside money. We decided that we're not going to you know, go, go be a, a private equity firm. If something comes up and we can do it out of cash flow or, or do it out of our own, right. our own reserves, we'll, we'll do it. Right. But I'm not going to partner with anybody and, and go raise money and, and go be somebody else's CEO. Right. Um, just because part of this is I'm in it to have fun. I, I really yeah. am. And I'm, I'm part, uh, you know, we're in it obviously to, uh, to get a, a good rate of return, but, you know, between the employees and, and us, I, I want to be able to make those decisions based on what's best for us, not not some Somebody third party else. who's really yeah. not invested in the business in, in the way that we are. So, sure. so yeah, we're, we're kind of, we pump the brakes on doing anything like that. And even, you know, I mean, I've got no, no plans. Um, I'm going to hang on to the business as, as, as absolutely as long as I can or as makes sense. Sure. Um, but I will walk away like yeah. the, the day the check clears <laughs> and we sign the paperwork, I'm throwing in the keys and walking away because I just, I don't think I could watch somebody else <laughs> kind of making decisions about, about my baby. So, sure. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the decision behind, behind all of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've talked to a couple of people about doing some small, what I'll call kind of strategic bolt on acquisitions, which I really would love to do. Sure. Um, but it's got to be a way that's affordable and, and makes sense for us without and really without taking any outside yeah. capital or giving up any control at all. Yeah, you know? sure. And so you had said, you know, you, you surround yourself with this group of people yeah. that can really help you. And uh, and when we were talking, you know, you had mentioned about, you know, coaching and uh, and some of the stuff that you're looking to do in, yeah. the, in the future, some groups that you're looking to be a part of. I think that's that's really cool in that you have a lot of experience, you know, you've ran companies, you're now, you know, you're now running your own organization. And I think taking a look at it from like, it seems like you're, you're of the mindset of like, you can always be learning uh, new things and always taking advice from, from all different people. So tell me a little bit about like what, coaching has been, uh, like for you and, and some of the things that you're looking to do in the future. Yeah. So when I, when I first took over the company, I I brought on a, a, an executive coach who's a great guy, Doug Brown. And, um, I'd always wanted to do this, this, this kind of coaching because the people that I looked up to in the business had always talked very highly about, about professional coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, business coaching. So now you know, now that we had this opportunity and, and now that I could make the decisions on my own without having to go to somebody else, which is, which is a great luxury. Um, you know, I talked to Doug and he asked me, you know, why now and, and what's different now? And, you know, when it's, now the, the stakes are, the stakes are higher. 
Yeah, sure. At, at this point, so we, we you know we made the investment, and um, you know a lot of what we talked about were around people issues mm-hmm. and and how to manage that transition. Um, so it was it was very it was very helpful, and and one of the things we were going like a million miles an hour hair on fire and he kept telling me slow down slow down slow down slow down sure and uh and that that was always in the back of my mind you know slow down and um that was that was very helpful among among other things that i won't talk about but but he was uh um and is a a great professional coach and i highly recommend that for, for really for any executive sure um just having somebody to you know some kick you in the ass a little bit and a little bit of accountability, knowing that, you know, in, when you say you're going to do something, you know, as for me, if I say I'm going to do something, you know, yeah, you're held accountable, but it's different. But when you have to go and have a discussion with sure. somebody in two weeks and say, well, did you really do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, no, I chickened out. I didn't yeah. have that discussion. Um, you know, now, and, and you're writing a check for this advice, which, which is also a big deal. Sure. You know, now, now you're invested in it. And, you know, you have a discussion about a difficult discussion you need to have with an employee or a supplier or a customer or whatever. And you go back and you don't have that discussion. You're like, okay, well, not only did I kind of not take the advice, I didn't have the benefit of actually having the discussion. And now I'm two weeks further behind. And um, so that, that was, that was, uh, that was good because it really did keep us on task. And it actually, as much as he said, slow down, slow down, which was absolutely true. Uh, it actually accelerated, I think, a lot of the a lot of the progress that we made. And you know, the other thing was that um, you know I come from Connecticut, so I've been there my whole life. My whole network was up there. Right. I ran, you know, as chairman of the board of the New England Air Museum for twelve years, ten years. So I had access to a lot of peers and executives that I could kind of talk to pretty informally. And then when I came down here, you know, it was three things really going on at the same time. One is I didn't have that same kind of network built up. Uh, for obvious reasons, because yeah. I was relatively new down here. Second, it was really hard to do it because you're in the middle of COVID. So it's not like you can go to any of these groups or, you know, business aviation associations or even the trade shows and talk to, you know, talk to your peers. Uh, and then the third thing is that we were just so heads down in the business yeah. that I really didn't have time to do any of that. So, um, you know, so so the coaching and, and some of the other things that I've done have helped tremendously accelerate my transition uh, to being a uh, Southwest Florida business executive, which is, <laughs> oh man, it's just a wonderful thing. I love it down here. Yeah. So t- tell me about like what what's so great about this area? Because there's a lot of people that are making this this change. I've been down here for, I moved from New York. I've been down here 12 years now. I'd never go back to New York. I like to go back and visit and see friends and stuff. So what's, uh, what do you like about down here? I just, I love the, uh, I love the area. So the things that I like to do are, are primarily outside. Right? Yep. So I love to sail. I love to fish. I love to uh, fly, obviously. All of that you can do 12 months out of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea of never being cold, of never shoveling snow <laughs> is fantastic. The business environment couldn't be any better. I ran two businesses in New York, uh, yeah. and and the business environment there was uh, was not great. Yeah. Um. And in uh, one on Long Island, one in Dutchess County. Dutchess County was actually good. They had a great economic development mm-hmm. program there, um, but but it was very expensive. And and yeah. being a Connecticut resident working in New York was uh, was was even worse. Uh, my commute is shorter. Um, <laughs> So it's so it just all the way around. It's just better. The only thing, the only thing that we don't have in Southwest Florida is a great manufacturing ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Right, manufacturing is really not emphasized. And right. you know, I'm part of the uh, the aer- um, one of the aerospace groups here uh, for Lee, with the Lee County Economic Development Ca- Council, and uh, you know, we're kind of going through the list of aerospace companies in this. I'm like. There's more aerospace companies in one street yeah. in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> yeah. than there is in all the, you know, Collier, Lee County combined. Sure. And uh, so you don't have a great ecosystem here of, of other companies, but hopefully that'll change. Yeah. Do you think that that's going to change? I mean, do you talk to people that think about making the move over here? I think there are a lot of companies that are thinking about making the move. Yeah. And, and I highly recommend it. You know, you, and you have Melbourne, right? Mel, you, sure. So Melbourne, you had Arion, but... 
But the thing, even with Arion, um, you know, closing up shop, was that now you've got a huge talent pool there. Yeah, sure. Right? Those people are going to, they, they're not going to want to leave. No. And so, you know, you'll see all of these new companies. And I think you were already starting to see it. Yeah. You'll see all of these new companies crop up, but you've got Piper, you've got the entire Space Coast. Um, you've obviously got, got Fort Lauderdale and Miami, which support a lot of the airlines and business aviation. Yep. So I think, you know, Southwest Florida has an opportunity, yep. uh, because there, it is around us. Um, we just have to make, we just have to make a concerted effort to go, to go get it. Um, I love, I love being on the West coast though. I, I really it's, do. It's definitely different than Fort Lauderdale, West Palm, all that, you know, it's a different, um, Different feel. I, yeah. I like it a lot better over here, but yeah. you know, it's not for everybody. But it does seem like the amount of people that are making the move to this area, you know, it's the between the business environment in comparison to some of the places up north and, and other places in the country, it's obviously much more business friendly, which is yeah. why we we came down originally. Yep. Um, cost of living, uh, well, Maybe in the last year has has gone up a, a bit. Um, I think it's still pretty, um, you know, pretty good in comparison yeah. to some areas. Um, and you know, with all the people coming down, I think that 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 talent pool for companies that are based here is opening up a bit. And so, one of the questions that I had for you was, you know, as you came down buy this business. You said some people left the business bringing in some people. I think you're hiring yep. now. How has, how has the hiring process been for you here? It's been, I would say it's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, it, part of it is that the talent pool is, is not deep because you don't have a lot of manufacturing here. Right. So on the one hand, it's not deep, but on the other hand, the people that are here, you know, when, when you're one of the few manufacturers that are hiring, you become an employer of choice. Sure. And so, um, so we've been able to make up that match pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. We brought, we brought in a, a, an assembly technician and he was from up north. He retired down here and, um, you know, we were able to pick him up and, and now he's kind of living the dream. Yeah. You know, he's able to do what he was doing. Um, you know, we pay good wages and, you know, he's living in Southwest Florida, which is, which is a, which is a dream. Yeah. So, where, where you're able to kind of make that match, it works really well for, for everybody. Sure. Um, you know, you just, you don't have a really, really deep talent pool of super right. experienced people like you might have, you know, up in, up in Connecticut, you know, where everybody was working for Pratt and Whitney. So, right. you know, you just kind of manage it on a position by position basis. Yeah. And I think just, you know, what you're doing right now is, you know, trying to get out there promote the business, doing a lot of networking, you know, if you're able to show that you're a good company and that you have a, a great workplace and that you're really, you're doing something that's different than a lot of the other businesses, I think that attracts people. And I yeah. think that was one of the, you know, one of the questions that we always got down here was at let, I guess in the beginning of 2020, we had almost a hundred people on the, the flight docs team. And one of the questions that we always got was around our development team. It was like, where do you guys do your, your, uh, your product development, all of our engineering? And nobody could believe that our entire team was actually all sourced and based here in Southwest Florida. You know, um, just they, they couldn't believe that, that we had the type of talent that we did here. Um, but we were able to kind of build that reputation and, and become a place where people wanted to work. We also were able to uh, develop people through uh, internships. So we, we had a great relationship with the, uh, the local university here, FGCU, Florida Gulf Coast University, and brought people up through that program. So we were able to build an awesome team with local people. And then we also had people that kind of fell in our lap where they were like, Hey, I'm just, I, I just, my, my, uh, my husband moved down from, we're moving down from Chicago. I have all this great experience. I'm looking for something. This looks like a great fit. And we picked up a lot of people that yep. way. Yeah. We've so, had, we've had some good luck just that surreptitious, yeah. just kind of, Hey, I'm new to the area. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's worked pretty well too. And there are some big companies, you know, Parker's here yeah. and there's some 
larger companies up in up in uh, Fort Myers that do some aerospace. So there is there are there are pockets of of some really good experience that you can tap into. Sometimes it's hard to compete with the big companies, and other times you know we we offer a much different experience than a mm-hmm. big company, and yeah. you know that small company DNA. Uh, you know, if if you're the right if you're the right mindset, that small company DNA works really well yeah. for people as opposed to, hey, this is my lane and I shall not stray from, you know, from the yellow lines. Sure. Um, we're, we're, we're not like that at all, you know. And, Do you and think it's harder to find people like that nowadays? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think. Just from my, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm wondering about that. And, you know, we're, we were always trying to build a team of people who came in and we didn't do a very good job at like job descriptions. And <laughs> oftentimes you were, you know, if you were good, we really tried to pull you in every type of direction. And yeah. people, I think the people that embrace that found a, an extreme fast track to their career where they came in at, um, you know, o- almost like an entry level type position, whether it was a customer service or on a development uh, developer. Um but when they embrace that, like, hey, this is a small company. There's no like plan on how I become a manager in five years or how I become a VP in seven years or anything like that. When they jumped in and really embraced, like, have a great opportunity here. I could learn a ton and like, I'm willing to do kind of anything to, to grow. Um, we had people that, came into the company at entry level and within like three years were a VP and like part of our, our core team. I think that's one of the awesome things about small companies is that like you're able to come in, jump into it, make a difference. That opportunity is there for you. Um, but I question like how many people enter an organization with that type of of mindset. Well, there's so much ambiguity around that. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at a big company, the career progressions are very linear. Right. Right. So it's so it's easy. If I do my job really well, you know, then I'll get promoted from a manager to a director to a VP. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a very linear progression. Right. And it's all based around your functional competency. Um, you know, when people come in, I'm like, okay, well, there's one head of engineering, there's one head of quality, there's one VP of operations, and there's one purchasing person. So you know, our, our career progressions are going to be based on growing the company. Right. Right. The more we grow the company, the more that these positions will open up, which will allow you to grow. Right. And, you know, that's, that's something we all can have an impact on because we're, you know, a small number of employees. So every employee has a disproportionate impact on the success of the company compared to a, you know, compared to a huge company. Right. And so, um, you know, that's what I tell people. And some people are really excited about that. They, you know, they want to be part of that success and a, and a part of that growth, uh, which makes us a good fit. And then others, you know, that that's not such a good fit for them. They just want something that's, that's more traditional and linear. And, you know, then they, yeah. they do other things. Sure. Um, it's not like that's bad, right? No, like it, it's, it's got to be a good fit. And, and yeah. you know, whether you're owning a small company, running a small company, or being part of a small company, it is not for everyone. Right. And, um, you know, you know, Craig, you know, Craig Pickin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's got a great analogy um, that, that I just love. I, I, I think about it almost every day is the, the tugboat operator versus the uh, versus the barge operator or versus the uh, you know, the cargo container operator, oh, you know, cargo container, oh, I got a thousand foot ship, you know, well, you know, try making, try making a decision operating a thousand foot ship, you know, you, you just, you, you can't, and, and the effects of it won't be seen for, for hours or, or days or whatever. And everything's right. pre-programmed and you can go downstairs and have a nice dinner and then come back up and nothing has changed. You know, the tugboat operator, you know, he's in there in the, in the middle of the, in the middle of the harbor. And getting the crap kicked out of them and the tide is changing and the winds are changing and, yeah. you know, the boat is getting beat up. And, you know, if he, if he doesn't, if he's not spot on, then, you know, something, something bad is going to happen and it's going to happen right now. And he's making his, making decisions in real time and kind of living out on the edge. And, you know, sure. some people are programmed to be a, be a, a, a tugboat captain and, you know, others aren't. And uh, I'm, 
Uh, I, I love being in the tugboat. To me, that's very satisfying because, uh, you know, as you know, every night when you go home, you know, it was it was you and your team. You know, the right. decisions that you guys made and, and for good or for bad, and that's it. Um, and, and they can make it, you could see the immediate impact immediate. Of, of what you're doing, right? Yeah. And it's not this long, drawn-out decision-making process and meetings and plans and all this type of stuff, which was one of the things that I loved about what we did was like, you know, and, and in some cases it came back to bite us in the ass, yeah, of course. Uh, right? Where, you know, you're just sitting at a table like this and you come up with an idea and we're like, all right, let's just go do it. You know, right. And you start working on whatever that is without putting in, you know, without doing the full business plan and the projections and all that stuff. But in general, I think the the real benefit of that for a small company is that you keep things moving. Like the constant yeah. action of like and progression was something that I always loved. And it was like, okay, even if something didn't like hit or didn't have the impact that we thought, it usually brought us in a direction, like it got us closer to our goals or yeah. it got people energized or it got, got people feeling more of part of the team with all this. Well, and it keeps the, the organization learning, right? right? Even if you, even if you quote unquote fail at something, yep. you know, the organization learns something from that, which is, which is tremendously important and, and powerful. Sure. And so, you know, the bias towards action, I think, is is really, really important for better, or for worse. And, you know, we just built our built our our building. And oh, man, I look around. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things <laughs> I would have done differently. But, you know, the reality was we were on a timeline right. and, you know, we made the best of it. And, you know, I, I kept telling my guys, look, you know, if it if a decision is not going to kill you, just make it move on. We'll right. figure, you know, if it's if it's not. If it if if the decision is made in a way that you're benefiting the customer, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll then you know you you can't be wrong, right? And and so, um, you know, being in a small company, you can really have a bias towards action, which we've tried to take advantage of, um, but also being AS ninety one hundred, and you know, you still have to do it within the context of aerospace discipline. Right. Right. Um, and, and you have a 145 repair station. And we have station, a 145 repair right. station. So, you know, all of those things need to be done within the context of, of some semblance of discipline. Right. But the decisions that we make, we can make very quickly. I mean, for all intents and purposes, on the investment committee. Right. And um, uh, so, so that does give you a bias towards speed, which honestly has been helpful in winning deals. So, mm -hmm. you know, we just won a fairly substantial deal. Not a I say not at great margins, but we did it for some strategic reasons, and uh, which I'm very happy with, and, and the program's going very well. But we were able to make that decision almost in real time, because right. just just based on some intuition and and leveraging all of our collective experience as a as a management team. You know, okay, yeah, is it, how's this gonna how's this gonna be in the long run, and what happens if we don't do this, and you know, kind of playing out the scenarios, but. You know, it certainly wasn't a 75-page PowerPoint where right. you're trying to justify it to three levels of vice presidents who then have to go to the CEO who, you know, may have not done great on his golf game that day and <laughs> said, no, I don't want to do this. Right. You know, after all that work goes into it, we look at it and, and the customer well, and, recognizes that and, and appreciates that, that we're yeah. that responsive. Sure. And, and, you know, you knowing this industry, understanding the customers, understanding the product you can make those decisions based on some, I'll say like intangible information. And like, you know, you, you don't need everything to line up to a dollar amount, right? right. You could say, but doing this deal, this is, this is going to be in the best interest of the company because it's going to have these kind of side effects that are going to help us in, in the long Yeah, and, and you ask the right questions. And, yeah. you know, you can ask four or five questions and really get to the meat of the problem if you're asking the right questions. Sure. And, um, you know, like you say, having that, really having that experience and that intuition, it, it really does color the decision-making ability so that, you know, you think, you know, it looks like it's a haphazard, you know, process, but the reality is that it's very much grounded in, you know, years of experience, not really of, of me, but my entire team. Sure. You know, my, my team is, my core management team is very experienced, big companies, small companies, um, you know, a couple of them have been with the company a long, long time. So they've got 
They've got the historic basis of the company and of our customers. So you put all of that together and it's, it's super powerful. Yeah. And, yeah. and really we've, we've tried to leverage that. And now that, now that the transition is behind us, which was, which was really, it was really just a lot of effort, you know, banking and payroll systems and things not working right and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now that that's largely behind us and, and we can kind of focus on running the business, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And it's fun because we're talking to people that are developing new aircraft. Um, you know, so you, so you see something, you know, whether it's on AOPA Live or wherever out in the industry, and then you get a phone call from an engineer. You're like, hey, I know that program. Yeah, wow, sure. that's, that's pretty cool that you guys called us. Mm. And uh, it's, it's, so it's great to be a part of that ecosystem on, on the supply chain for uh, for the for the entire aviation industry, personally, I, I just, that's just that's pretty thrilling for yeah. me. What uh what excites you about aviation right now? Do you see anything going on that you know is different now that you think is is pretty interesting? Uh, so I was at Oshkosh, and the thing that struck me this year about Oshkosh more than any other time ever in the past was how many young people there were. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a combination of two things. I'm getting old. <laughs> but but the reality is there were a lot of young people. They were energized. Uh, they were engaged. They were leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm seeing a lot of, you know, and, and you know, you're, you're part of that group, right? The younger, the younger generation is coming into aviation full of ideas, enthusiasm. They love the industry. Um, that that was a major, major takeaway from Oshkosh. And, you know, I mean, not for nothing, you look at what's going on with all of these, you know, we had just had a 19 year old girl. She's in the, a woman is in the process of flying around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, Luke Zipkin and, and, and others are flying their cubs. You know, one of them is flying to every 50 state, every state and, you know, all 48 states. And, you know, another one's flying across the country. Uh, so just all of these things that are that are going on, not only with younger kids, but with getting women involved in aviation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the entire color of aviation, literally and figuratively, is is changing, and I think that's 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 the best thing that could happen yeah. for the industry. Well, it, ha- it has to happen. Yeah, with with all the the workforce shortages that that we're seeing the impact of now, not just from the the pilot side of things, but in maintenance and the whole support structure yeah. of aviation, if we don't bring younger people into it or different people that maybe haven't been interested in the space before, there's going to be problems in in you know, really growing this industry, right? Yeah. And I think what that does, though, is it also makes aviation more accessible. Sure. Because, you know, when I, when I was getting my pilot's license or, or, you know, over the last 20 years, you know, it's oh, well, I'm a pilot, you know, I, I've right. got the right stuff, I'm special, you know, or whatever. Like, like this industry was very insular. Right, it was. Clo- it, was it, it always seemed closed off. Right, right? It very closed off. And now with, with Instagram and, you know, with people, there's a support network out there that I think never existed. When I was a kid, right, I, I got my pilot's license at 17. So I was, I was the only one in my high school who was taking pilot flying lessons. Mm-hmm. I didn't have access to any other people my age that were that were flying you know now you know if you're a if you're a 17 18 19 year old person and you're interested in aviation the aspects of social media and youtube you can see there's there's probably 400 youtube channels and instagram accounts of people that are like you that are getting involved in aviation and becoming pilots and doing cool things and interesting things I think that's I think that is really 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 good for the future of the industry, and you'll you're going to see some really amazing innovation coming out of that. So so what comes out of that is that this generation is is very obviously very connected, mm-hmm. uh, both sure both electronically and 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 uh, you know in person. Um, they're also comfortable with new technology, so right. electric aviation. You know, my son just bought an electric car. He says, I will never own a internal combustion engine yeah. vehicle again. Um, and, and he loves it. Mm-hmm. He absolutely loves it. And so they're, they're comfortable with technologies that we're really just 
starting to get comfortable with. Right. So electric airplanes, what George buys doing, you know, with the e-flyers is amazing for flight schools. Um, you know, you look what's going on with Reed Hill view, you know, with leaded gasoline, you know, that's a huge problem. So, so for training aircraft, you know, the whole electric revolution, I think really solves a massive problem for the industry. That next generation is the one that's going to, going to embrace it. Sure. Um, absolutely. That's, that's what's, that's, what's going to happen. So the combination of, I think electric and, and, you know, other types of propulsion combined with this new demographic and generation that's coming up. Um, I think the industry did a great thing starting 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago saying, Hey, we've got, we've got to change how we embrace this industry. You know, I was a part of it at the new England air museum. I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was part of the board for a long time and chairman of the board you know, a lot of what we did was centered around getting kids interested in aviation. Because when I was a kid, when I was a young kid, right, my parents would take me to our local airport, go buy ice cream, sit on the tailgate of the pickup truck, watch airplanes land. You can't do that now. There's right. very few places where you can do that. And if you do, you're going to get arrested or for trespassing <laughs> or, or worse. And so it, aviation is not as accessible and, it, and it's not as mysterious to young kids anymore, right. right? So they don't grow up thinking, oh my, I want to be a pilot or whatever, because it's not, it doesn't have that same, you know, it's, it, it's been spiritized, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, the industry has really come together and tried to make through museums and interactive programs and things that AOPA are, is doing and EAA, tried to make it accessible to sure. kids. And I think that's having an impact. I think if you surveyed, you know, 20 year old pilots to say, okay, what was your experience uh, that, that really got you involved? I think it would be different from my generation. Mm -hmm. You know, my generation was my uncle was a pilot. My father was a pilot. You know, my kid, my parents took me to the airport. Um, Today, it's going to be a young Eagles flight. It's going to be a museum. It's going to be something on YouTube that, that inspires that, that next generation. And I think to the industry's credit, we saw that a while ago and, and made that change happen. Yeah. And, and I really saw it clear as day at, at Air Venture this year. Mm -hmm. That was a massive change, you know, over the last 24 months, considering we weren't there last year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to definitely see that same thing and just, you know, all of the content that's out there. And you look at, you know, these guys that are posting videos of, you know, their Cessna, their Citation pilots or yeah. all these guys that have uh, vision, Cirrus Vision jets and, and all the content that they're putting out there. And it's making kids and younger people say like, this is a, this is a, rea this is a reality for a lot of people. Yeah. And this is a direction that we could, we could go. And, and, and that's really cool. Well, it's a modern day top gun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. For sure. It's also kept the FAA busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. That's a whole other topic though. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's, that's cool stuff. So looking back at, at your company now, and you know, you've kind of gone through this whole process of taking it over and redoing kind of everything. everything you know I, I came and, and visited your your uh your new facility a couple of weeks ago it's a beautiful spot but you've done all of your systems over brought in new people you just redid inventory this yeah. weekend um where do you where are you going from here um i think the in the medium term we want to leverage what we've just built right, right? Sure. so i want to leverage the the 40 years or 40 year new as i is what i call it so we've got 40 years of experience and relationships and, and products that I don't think were really adequately leveraged um, in the in the past. So mm -hmm. one of the things that we've done that I've done a lot of over the last year and a half is is I've done a lot of messaging around uh, not only ease of use with oxygen made easy, um, but also that um, we do ourselves as an industry a disservice by uh, by following 91 to 11, which is, is drilled into our brains as, as student pilots, it says you don't need oxygen below 12,500 feet. Really not what the regulation says, but that's what we think. So when I talk to pilots about using oxygen, they say, oh, well, I'm not going up to 12,000 feet, so I don't need it. 
And the data shows that we should be using oxygen at 8,000 feet. Mm. And the data is very, very clear. So I've been doing a lot of messaging around that. I've okay. done safety so seminars. Education. Yeah, I've done safety. And that's that's a benefit of being a flight instructor is I can mm -hmm. look at this problem from a flight instructor's perspective about how are we teaching our students. And, uh, and that's part of what I love to do. I did a safety seminar for an EAA chapter virtually um, Thursday night. And there's maybe 20, 25 people, you know, in the room. I could see them. And uh, it was just great to just be around kind of yeah. my people. And, um, um, but that's the messaging is that you really should be using uh, these systems at 8,000 feet uh, because, you know, you know it even from traveling on an airliner, which has a cabin altitude of 8,000 feet. When you land from uh, on an airliner, you know, you're, you're wiped out. Yeah. And it's just from that, you know, from that low, low, um, low oxygen content, right. it just accumulates over time. You, and we tell people measure your SPO2, right? Pulse oximeters are so ubiquitous now. They're on your iPhone and your watch. watch yeah. And, you know, I mean, we sell pulse oximeters for now for 30 to 30 or $40 that, that connect to your iPhone. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. And that was a $300 thing just a couple of years ago. So, People need to know what their what their blood uh, oxygen saturation level is, and um, and use oxygen at lower levels. So we've really been messaging around that. And again, that's that's part of my my network down here that I've built. Um, I, I've got a great friend. Um, I'll tell you his name is Bill Schley, and he's like one of the original Madmen. Great advertising guy, branding, and he's in my flying club. And he's like. Oh man, I want to be part of this. I want to help you, and and we'll go out to dinner and we'll just brainstorm this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm just I'm so privileged to be around people like that who have taken an interest in my my company, and and you know are are available to to help me. It's just been it's just been uh, it's been wonderful. Yeah, and, and it's been a lot of fun, which is really important. Cool. So know? it's more around you know I think you you're seeing okay we have these great products there's changes that we can make to yeah. our go to go to market and to our messaging and our marketing to really um and and educating people to really help us continue right. to grow the business yeah and that's and that's that's what we want to take advantage of I, I'm, I'm not going to go out and develop and get into some new market right um you know we we had looked at that but the investment required like I, like i've got so many so many other things like right within our sweet spot right now that we sure. can, that I don't think we're fully taking advantage of. Sure. So we're reconfiguring products. So one of the new products we came out with last year is called the Pro 2 Plus. And the reason why we came out with that, again, is this concept of oxygen made easy. This is super easy to use. It's a small package. You throw it right in your flight bag because as a student pilot or as a private pilot, you say, boy, you know, buying one of these large, um, um, portable oxygen systems looks really complicated, even though it's not, mm -hmm. but it looks really complicated. I don't go up to altitude that much. I don't need, I don't need something like that. So we came up with this very simple to use system that leverages all of our, all of our expertise. So it's got a flow indicator. It's a simple toggle switch. It goes to our conserving cannula. It's preset. So there's no, there's no adjustment. Yeah. You put the cannula on, you flip the toggle switch, you make sure that you've got flow. And you go, Good. and and it fits right in your flight bag, and so that's been that's been a really popular product because pilots are familiar with the with the little cans, you know, with the you, you yeah, hold sure. up to your mouth. But um, but the problem with those is you can't use them continuously. Um, you don't know how much you have left, right? Which is a huge big, problem, big, problem, big yeah. problem. And you you because you're not using it continuously, you get a little hit. And then, you know, your sats drift down again, and then you got to take another hit and it's not refillable. So mm -hmm. ours is, re it's got all of the benefits um, that you can see the flow. It's got a conserving cannula. Um, you can flip it on and off uh, so that if you've got to go up and uh, over a cloud or you have to go up to airspace or if you're flying at night or if you just need a little bit of a, an extra hit, uh, you can use it for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It's got a gauge on it. So you know exactly how much you have left for safety. Um, so that's been a, that's been a great product. And all we did is we mixed and matched and configured to solve this very specific problem. And that's, that's the type of product development. Matter of fact, before I came here, I had my one-on-one -on -one with my head of engineering and, you know, that's told me these are the types of problems that I want us to solve right. is how do we take our existing portfolio and make sure that we're really leveraging it to the greatest extent possible and that our products are world-class, 
Um, so we're going to develop a next generation of our diluter demand mask, um, which is another product where we have a TSO. So I've got barriers to entry there. And uh, it's much more cost effective than, than the incumbent. Um, and so it's, so it's a great opportunity for us. It's, it's a great product. I, I've used it. I love it. Um, and, and we're just we're going to invest in that and make that product even better. Cool. So that, those are the types of things that, that I want to do. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, for, for listeners, where can they find you? www.arox.com. A-E-R-O-X. All right. Cool. How about, and you're on LinkedIn. I know you're I'm on everywhere. On yeah. LinkedIn, Instagram is Helo Glider or Aerox Aviation 02. Um, yeah. But LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach, to okay. reach me. Cool. Um, and we have a LinkedIn page for, for Aerox as well. Sweet. Anything else you want to, to mention while we're here? No, thank you a lot for having me, Greg. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed no it. No problem. It was great having you on. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do it again one of these days. Sounds great. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks sir.